1: It's time for the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferren Stoke. In an era of chaos, confusion, and craziness, Ference is a voice for common sense. As a financial literacy educator, speaker, and entrepreneur, Ferentz cuts through the noise to help us understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Now, here's Ferentz Stoke.
2: Welcome to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferentz. Well, if you were listening to the show last week, you know I got pretty fired up. And the funny part about it is I have received quite a bit of response from that, and uh, overwhelmingly positive, actually. So I really do appreciate it. My focus since the beginning of this year is really, I guess the best way I could describe it is bringing us back to basics. And here's why I'm doing this. This is why this is so important. Again, it's a financially focused show, but economic freedom is freedom. And if you read John Locke, by the way, anyone who doesn't know who that is, George Washington called him one of the greatest people who ever lived. and he wrote, a, he wrote a book called Two Treatises of Government, and if you haven't read it or at least got an idea of what it is, you should really know, because the Two Treatises of Government is a big portion of the foundational ideas that came from the Declaration of Independence and in our Constitution. Common Sense by Thomas Paine, as I shared last week, was another big contributing factor. If you want to understand the basics of understanding our government, our country, our vision, our mission statement, you need to understand where the ideas came from to really, truly understand. And again, why is this so important? Well, John Locke stated, he he discussed frequently about freedom, about economic freedom. And if a person didn't have freedom of owning property, for example, and having economic freedom, they were not truly free. And even in the Declaration of Independence, I've shared this story many times, that there was a disagreement, or if you will, in what words needed to be or should be shared in the beginning statements of the Declaration. Remember, this was the very first founding document of our country; it was the very beginning of our country. And we all understand the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Life and liberty were pretty consistent. In fact, that was in John Locke's. Uh, to treatise a government also th- those phrases were in common sense pursuit of happiness was more that again franklin wanted to discuss wanted to be ownership of property thomas jefferson came up with the phrase pursuit of happiness which ultimately won the day which is a little bit fly- or more uplifting or encouraging way to share it i think so it's kind of interesting how how these things came about where they came from and where the ideas, again, where these ideas originated from, it's important to understand the, the foundational principles to understand why the things are the way they are, okay? So it's incredibly important. And, again, I'm going to go back to this. Why is it important to go to back to basics? Well, I don't think, well, the vast majority of Americans ha- believe that the country is headed in the wrong direction. We've gotten away from the basics. We've gotten away from the mission statement of our country. And I'm going to use sports as an analogy to help understand this. We all know, let's say you take a talented team that is certainly capable of winning games, yet that team suddenly finds itself in a losing streak, going the wrong way. It has the capacity. It has the talent to win. Unfortunately, it's not, not doing that. What does a good coach usually do? Well, they bring the team back to the basics. And if we, say, use football as an analogy, that's blocking and tackling. Anyone who's ever played sports knows this, knows this is a common tactic used by coaches. Players discuss it, even professional players. Think about this. You've got professional ball players who have been playing their sport for years and years, even decades. They're the best of the best. They're the top of the game. And they get off track sometimes. And they'll discuss when they, you know, a batter, for example, get in a hitting slump. And they'll discuss going back to the basics, going to batting practice, and just practicing their swing, doing the basics, because somewhere along the way they got off track. Look, if a professional, somebody who's among the best in the world at what they do, a professional athlete, for example, can get thrown off and get off, off track and get away from the basics, and they have to go back to blocking and tackling or swinging the bat again, for example, or going back and shooting free throws, right? Whatever it may be, whatever their sport is. If they have to go back and do those things sometimes to ground them, to bring them back to the basics, how much more do we need to do that? How important is it for us as citizens of our country to go back to the basics sometimes? You know, teams have, sports teams have a philosophy they have an identity, they have something they want to accomplish. well folks, countries do too also. They have an identity and a philosophy and something that they want to accomplish and anyone who has started a business or even considered starting a business knows that the first thing if you want a small business administ- if you go to the small business administration or you go to a lender, what's the first thing they ask you for and what they require? Before they'll even consider you for, say, a business loan, they'll require a business plan. And what's the first step of that business plan? Well, it has to start with a mission statement. What is a mission statement? It's an aspirational statement. It's a statement of what you envision, what you would like to see this business do, what you would like to see it accomplish. When a business first starts, when it just gets going, is it living up to its mission statement? Probably not. Un, very unlikely. In fact, if it is, it's not. It doesn't have any aspiration. It doesn't have a goal. It doesn't have a purpose or a vision. The mission is what the mission statement is. What that business aspires to. Well, let's take that to our country, to our government, to our society. What are the basics of the U.S. United States government? What is the mission statement? Well, folks, that happens to be the Declaration of Independence. Even Thomas Jefferson stated that the Declaration is an aspirational statement, you could say, or an aspirational document. You could say it's the mission statement for the United States. What does the Declaration aspire to? Well, the, we tr- hold these truths to be self-evident. The, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Those are the st- initial statements, and in that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Like I said, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it also goes on to say that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these means, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. See, these are statements that are made at the very beginning of the Declaration of Independence, the very, be- the very beginning mission statement, if you will, of our country. Now, did the United States, this is one of the knocks. Uh, some people have about our some of our founding documents, you know, like for example, all men are created equal. Some people will denigrate and say that the u s didn 't start living that declaration because there was things people were not all equal, not everyone could vote, for example, slavery existed when the declaration was first written. Was the United States living up to its declaration its aspirational statement its mission statement, no, of course not, just like any business is not living up to its mission statement on day one or even in the early years. But it's what our government and country and our people are supposed to be aspiring to. It's our mission. It's our goal. It's what we're trying to aspire to. So to denigrate the documents because they didn't live up to the aspiration of all men are created equal right away is just short-sighted and foolish. Understand what the Declaration is understand what we should be aspiring to. For example, freedom throughout, for example, for the right to vote has has expanded throughout the centuries. We should be proud of that heritage, not denigrate it. We've moved more and more people have the right to vote over time. There were struggles and fights over that over time, of course there were. But we should be proud of the fact that we've moved in the right direction for the most part until recently, like I started to say in the beginning of the segment. Most Americans believe that this country's headed in the wrong direction. Why? We've gotten away from our mission statement, our aspirational statement. What is the mission statement for the United States? First of all, it's a healthy distrust of government. You know, the founders never intended for Americans to trust their government. The entire Constitution, for example, is predicated on the assumption that government is a necessary evil. It's to be restrained and minimized as much as possible. The founders had a healthy distrust of government. The founders predicted that governments would always try to gain more power over time, and that needed to be restrained. The founding documents restricted government. Again, government is a necessary evil, and it needs to be limited in its size, scope, and power. Ronald Reagan stated that government is not the solution. Government is the problem. I believe you're not truly a U.S. citizen without this understanding. I'm going to say that again. You are not truly a U.S. citizen unless you have the understanding that our government is to be distrusted, not, not trusted. Our government is to be limited in scope, size, and power. We're not to rely on the government. We're to rely on the people. The power belongs in the people. We have certain inalienable rights given to us by God. It states that in the Declaration, not given to us by man or by government, okay? You see, government wants more control. Like I said, the founders predicted this and understood this. And again, they were very, very concerned about government taking more control. You see, the government wants you to forget your rights. They want you to be dependent on them. This gives them more power, That's what they want. They want more power. And the only way they're going to gain that power is by the people voluntarily or involuntarily giving those up. We have to get back to the basics. Citizens need to get back to the basics and educate themselves. They need you to understand your rights and stand for your rights. The government doesn't want you knowing or realizing or even contemplating these statements that are in the Declaration, that these truths are, are self-evident, that we're endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, that we're endowed with the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that that whenever a government becomes destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute a new government. Our government doesn't want that. No government does. They would lose power. And that's why Thomas Jefferson stated A well informed electorate is a prerequisite for democracy. He was absolutely right. The solution is education. The solution is understanding your founding documents, understanding the mission statement. What is the mission statement for our country, for our government, for our people? What is your role as a U.S. citizen? Your role as a citizen is to distrust and limit the size and scope of government and stand up for your rights whenever possible and whenever need be. I'm going to discuss more of this because I think it's so valuable, so important going forward. As I've stated, I believe 2024 is going to be a chaotic year. We have an election year. It's going to be, I believe, economically chaotic, reducing your risk, reducing your taxes, reducing your liability, diversifying your money, creating tax-free income. Your personal bank does all those things. We have an increasing dividend. Vanguard's predicting for the next 5 to 10 years increasing interest rates with bonds, which will mean increasing dividends. These are things you want to look into to protect your money, protect yourself, because remember, economic freedom is freedom. Contact me for more information on this. Stay tuned in the next segment because I'm going to discuss civil rights. You don't want to miss this.
1: Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information... Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank show with Franca Stowe. Want more information? Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth.
2: Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ference. Another thing I want to share before I get into civil rights is the incredible response I've been getting on some of this. I guess it's becoming a series of getting back to the basics, understanding our foundational documents. I had a listener, actually not even a listener, one, one of the owners of one of the st- radio stations that my show airs on, pay me one of the greatest compliments this past week when he stated he was listening to last week's um, show and I was discussing a lot about the Declaration of Independence and how it's applicable to, to today and the common sense with Thomas Paine, how the arguments and challenges and the ideas and common sense that shaped our revolution and our fight for independence, how they're applicable today, how much it resonates today. He paid me this compliment. He's to listen Listen to the show three times. I mean, that's one of the highest compliments I think I could get. So, again, I had a number of folks re- reach out to me, and I really appreciate it. And if you want to get back with me, you can contact me at yourpersonalbank.com, or you can email me at uh, info at com. Happy to hear from you. If you missed the first segment, by the way, where I was discussing the mission statement for the United States, what is our mission statement? Go go to yourpersonalbank.com. dot You can listen to this or any of the previously recorded shows. I'm going to recommend you don't you go back and listen to it because it's powerful. Now, the next point I want to make on today, though, I think is again so powerful and bringing it closer to home, closer today, modern times, is something called the Civil Rights Act of 1964. This is a federal law that states, and I quote: "prohibits, prohibits discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability." agent hiring, promoting, firing, setting wages, testing, training, apprenticeship, and all other terms and conditions of employment. Basically, you cannot discriminate in any employment decision based on race, color, religion, or any of these other things. Now, here's what I find very interesting. I saw a study here that just came out recently. This is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So this is the U.S. government stating, showing their statistics show, that of the S&P 100, so these are the 100, in essence, largest companies in the United States, employment, the change in employment over the past three years, corporate America pledged to hire more people of color. It did, and in a big way. In fact, the change of employment over the past three years has now been almost a million jobs lost for whites. Hispanics have gained two million more jobs. Blacks have gained over 750,000 new jobs, Asians over 800,000, all workers 4 million. In other words, we have 4 million more jobs than in February of 2020, and and 1 million of those were lost by whites and all the other groups increased. So how it worked out, according to Bloomberg, is of all the new jobs, I'm sorry, the S&P 100, added 300,000 new jobs in the last three years, and 94% of those went to people of color. Now, I have a simple question. Did those people get those jobs due to merit? If so, kudos to them. I have no issues whatsoever. But I'm going to venture to say, because we are seeing and hearing about numerous examples, whites losing jobs and other races gaining jobs, even though they have less merit, that is discrimination against the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's federal law. One, it's immoral, folks. It's just racism. There is no such thing as reverse racism. Racism is racism. If you treat somebody different based on skin color, plain and simple, it's immoral. And if you discriminate against somebody for any of these other reasons, including race, that's against federal law. So it's illegal and it's immoral. And there's many uh, instances of discriminations. And here's the question I have. We have numerous examples of discrimination happening against people because of their skin color. Lawyers love lawsuits. You know, I'm not a fan of lawyers, but, you know, where are the lawsuits? Why are so many people, and by the way, it's primarily white people now, just rolling over and taking it? You know, minorities, rightly, fought for their civil rights in the 50s and 60s. It was a tough fight. It was a long and tough fight, but they, it was the right thing to do. My point is simple. There needs to be a new civil rights movement. There should be lawsuits everywhere. You know, why are so many people just rolling over and taking it? Where are the men? Testosterone is not toxic. I reject that. Abusiveness is abusive. That's wrong. But testosterone and male testosterone is not toxic. Guess what, folks? Strong men get things done. And we need some strong men and be strong women, too, to be fair. But we really need some strong men to stand up and say, look, you've been discriminated against. Let's say you've been discriminated against. You know it due to your skin color. And you have some good evidence to that fact. I'm going to challenge you. You need to find an attorney that will take your case and go make some history. Go make a difference. There are conservative law firms. Granted, there's less of them than liberal ones, but they do exist. Find one. I just went, looked up online myself and found a number of them. Stand up for your rights. Stop being a panty waste. I'm sorry. That's what it is. You're just rolling over and taking it. If you have a case, you have evidence, Take it to a conservative attorney and see if you can make a chain, make a difference, make history. It'll only take one high-profile example, and then we'll see hundreds of copycats, followers. And then that'll stop this ridiculous racism that's happening and this breaking of federal law of people being discriminated against. People should be hired and promoted based on merit, period. No other reason. That's the mission of our country, we're the land of opportunity, we're the land of freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness we get we need to get back to our basics we've lost sight of our mission statement of our vision for this country that's why we're going the wrong direction, folks. We need to get back to what it is i got to say this i haven't i don't have a situation that I've been discriminated discriminated against. I almost wish I had because. If I had, I'd be raising hell right now. I would be finding an attorney, and I would go and go until I found one that was willing to take the case, and I would make the biggest stink possible because I recognize the principle. It's not about so much about me and my situation. It's the principle of the thing. I don't want to live in this kind of society, has rampant racism, where people are being treated by their skin color. I don't care what their color is. They're being treated differently. Due to their skin color. I don't want my kids or grandkids growing up in that kind of society or environment. I can't take a case to court because I don't have a case to take. Please, if you do, make the decision, take the action, take charge, make a difference, please, for the good of society, for the good of yourself. And guess what? You'll feel good about yourself because you're doing something positive, you're making a difference. We're in a 1776 moment in our country's history. We are either going to have a rebirth of freedom. We are going to get back to the basics. We're going to get back to our mission statement of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, land of opportunity, land of merit, or we're not, or we're going to lose it. Let's not—don't let that happen. And here's another little thing I guess I I wanted to point out. There are reasons for hope, and, by the way, I hope to hear about re- if somebody here has a, a listener who has a case, by the way, where they've been discriminated against, by all means, and you don't know where to go, please contact me at yourpersonalbank.com. We'll reach out. We'll find an attorney that will take the case and will help you get restitution, but more importantly, set a precedent. That's what we need. There are reasons for encouragement. The WEC, World Economic Forum, or WEF, World Economic Forum, has been going on recently. And here's one of the causes for encouragement. The Argentine president was praised for calling out Davos elites, abandoning freedom for socialism. He dropped truth bombs on them. He went to the World Economic Forum, right to them, and talked to their face and said things like, this is not working. He says, I'm telling you, the Western world is in danger and he says it's because those that are supposed to have defended the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that leads to socialism and poverty. I love this guy. I, I love the responses people are saying, why can't we get a guy like this in America? It's supposed to be our thing. This is our you know freedom, opportunity. These are our things that we should be leading. We're not. We got away from our mission. He's taken up the banner, the Argentine president. He's taken up the banner. And like he said, we have well-meaning individuals willing to help others and motivated by the wish of of being belonging to a privileged caste. You know, the leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for what they call collectivism. And he says, I'm here to tell you that collectivist experience are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world, rather they are the root cause. In other words, he said, you guys are not the solution you guys are the problem. The World Economic Forum. I love that. I mean, that guy is speaking the truth. Well, you would not believe. And if you finish thinking and you think about this, in this country, we now have a situation. This is why we have to stand up. We have a situation where you can work 40, 50 years, pay your taxes. And when you retire, you barely get enough from the government to pay your mortgage through Social Security. But if you illegally cross the border, break our laws doing it. You'll be rewarded with free housing, food, monthly allowance, and you won't have to work a single day. How is that right? How is that the right way to go? Is that the kind of society you want to be a part of, that you want to live in? Any politician who's not adamantly against closing the border and deporting these illegals who are broke the law, they're criminals, we need to vote them out. We need to Alter or abolish our government, like the Declaration states. We need to alter that by getting rid of the wrong people that we have in charge with the wrong priorities, looking out for themselves. If they're in favor of spending more money than the government brings in, they need to be replaced. If they are not adamantly against illegal immigration and deportation, they need to be replaced. 435 representatives are, are up for election this fall. And I've stated this last week, and I'm going to bear repeating this. What if half of them were replaced? I would love it if all of them were. I really would. That would. would. What kind of message would that send? There's a handful of good ones out there that we could keep, maybe 10 or 15%. But what if the rest were replaced? That's unrealistic. But what if 100, 200 were? What kind of message would that send? We have that opportunity. Stay tuned in the next segment. i got some more great stuff that you're not going to want to miss because I'm going to talk about the folly of wanting free stuff and how that impacts society and an economy. Don't miss it.
1: Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ference Toth. Want more information? Contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth.
2: Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ference, And if I don't say myself, <laughs> pretty, I'm on fire, folks. If you miss the first two segments, I'm really going to encourage you to go back to yourpersonalbank.com. Listen to the previously recorded this or any of the other previously recorded shows, I was really discussing the mission statement of our country. What is our philosophy? What is our goal? What should we be focused on? Getting back to the basics. Again, you miss it, go back. I, you won't regret it. Yourpersonalbank.com. Now let me discuss another key point. You know, communism preys on the folly of human nature, and I have, I have some experience with it. I've shared this many, many times, that my dad escaped communism He escaped from Hungary. I'm half Hungarian. He escaped from the Soviets, from communism. He lived it, risked his life, ultimately was a refugee, ended up in the United States, doing it the right way. There's a difference between an immigrant and a refugee. A refugee did not want to leave. That was their home. Something happened, like in Hungary, where the Soviets literally took over. And he was forced to leave. If he had not left... One of two possibilities would have happened. He was a young man about 19 years old at the time. He would have had one of two possibilities. He would have been in a gulag or dead. That was it. If you were a young man at that point in time, Hungarian, male, that was your two options, or your third option was escape. He chose escape. I think most of you and I would have done the same thing. But how does communism prey on the folly of human nature? And socialism falls under under this. Marxism, they're all related. It's all Karl Marx. If you haven't read some of Karl Marx's books, you don't really understand and you're listening to what propaganda you've been told. The reality is this. Very close friend who lived under communism in China, which is very similar to the communism that my dad lived in Hungary before he escaped. And the backbone of Mao's revolution was the Chinese peasants. And she was sharing this with me. And she said she, they believed they would get free land and be made equal. They bought into this idea. They were able to, and in fact, due to this, they were able to take control of the government, which meant they were able to confiscate the land from landlords and then divide it equally among themselves. And it was called the, it was called the Land Reform Act of, between 1949 and 1952. This led to the death of more than 2 million landlords, folks. They didn't take it away from them peacefully. This is communism, okay? But within a few years, there was a new inequality. Some some people were doing better than others. <laughs> That's what always happens. Some people work harder, some have more talent. In the Bible, there's the story of the talents. The one who got five talents and he did well and got doubled to ten, and the one that had two talents, but it was a currency also at the time. So it does refer directly to money. But those with five talents, he invested, he did well, came back, his landlord said, good job good and faithful servant doubled it the one with two talents same thing doubled it the one with only one talent buried his talent that's where you get the idea you bury your talent you lose it well that's what happened he lost it and he called him a wicked a wicked servant a wicked person okay my point is some will always do better than others that is human nature people have different levels of motivation different levels of energy different levels of talent experience skill So some are going to do better than others. Well, there was a solution in Maoist China, and that was collectivism. This time, the Chinese Communist Party would make everyone absolutely equal, and this was called collective farming. Now, it started as voluntary. Guess who were the ones who strongly supported it? Those who didn't do as well as their neighbors. They were envious, right? Well, eventually, and by the way, this happened in Hungary too, my my cousins, my aunt and my cousins, had to work the collective farm. They had to work on the farm so many hours per day and per week. They were forced to. You didn't have a choice. Well, eventually all peasants were forced to be collectivized into communes. The land and all means of production now belonged to the people or the state. It really didn't belong to the people. It belonged to the co- the government. And guess what was the result? It was called the Great Famine, the three years of Great Famine, which lasted in China from 1959 to 61. This killed up to about 50 million peasants. Look, you want to learn a history lesson? Here's the history lesson of what the desire for free stuff and equity will lead us to. It leads to famine, to war, and people dying. It's that simple. Democracy and capitalism are the greatest sources of economic and free society that have ever existed. Are they perfect? No. No system is because you have mankind involved but they're the best ever devised. Now, let me share a few thoughts here about some um, financial stuff. we get into it. I love th- uh, this article. And here's before I jump into that, one thing I want to say real quick. I can't wait. I really do. I really can't wait to the day when I get to share a bunch of great economic news. And I'm going to have some good news, some good solutions here. But I'm, I can't ignore the facts. I just can't. I be I feel like I would be lying to you and misleading you if I I'm not the I'm not the uh, the mainstream media. See an article here that I just saw here. Ninety six percent of journalists who work for the mainstream media um, identify as independent or um, liberal. It means like three point four percent literally are all that identifies as conservative and you wonder why the news is so biased, so slanted one direction. If you listen to anything with the mainstream media, you have to recognize it's coming from a liberal slant 96% of the time. That's why it's so biased, and it really doesn't matter who you're listening to, what channel, what radio, what TV stage. It doesn't really matter, okay? I even discussed this, I think, in last week's show, where out of all the TV's, uh, uh, radio stage shows, uh, magazines, newspapers, you name it, Um, They're owned by six companies, okay? They're owned by six companies, and they overwhelmingly lean liberal. So you're getting a liberal, biased, a lot of propaganda or their agenda. What are you going to call it? You're getting their agenda. But here's an article by Moody's. Moody's is really worried about the global economy, and they're looking at it because they're concerned because the global economy is looking like a roller coaster that's lost its brakes, and it's it's ringing alarm bells. They're talking about the surge of corporate defaults. Okay, there's a lot of reasons that they're we're dealing with uncharted waters. The interest rates, you know, are they going to stay high? Are they going to go down? They're really concerned. We've avoided a recession so far, but as they state, don't get don't paint too rosy a picture here. Uh, there's a very severely pessimistic scenario where the do- default rates, for example. On commercial loans, that's some of the biggest areas of concern that could be as high as 10%, 11%. There are some real concerns for the economy going forward, and Moody's is stating it. And here's another one that states, don't get it wrong, the U.S. is very much in recession. They state that we're in recession, we just haven't seen the effects of it yet. As they point out, the bond market, which has historically been a much better indicator of economic cycles, they're they're signaling a storm. All the indicators are still pointing out the gloomy predictions of a recession. And they're even saying in this article, are equities misreading reading the signals? They said even in the stocks, the equities arena, there's palatable tension. See, investors in the stock market seem to be banking heavily on a g- gentle deceleration of the U.S. economy. In other words, a soft landing. If everything goes perfect, that's what they're banking on. Folks, here's what I want you to understand. It may happen. I'm not saying it won't. But if this soft landing does not happen, the stock U.S. stock market, in particular, has a real, real difficult. They got a problem ahead of them. But here's where the opportunity is. That's where the risk is. That's where the concern should be. And you know, again, the markets are at or near all time highs. Where is the risk most elevated? Could it go up from here? Certainly. There's no argument there. It certainly could. But when you're at the higher end of the cycle, that's when risk is elevated. The odds, statistically, anything going wrong could cause things to shift the wrong way dramatically. Here's where the opportunity lies, and this is another article from Market Insider. U.S. debt could face a boyer bike boycott if fiscal policy isn't cleaned up. This is something I've been discussing for a while on this show, that the government spending too much money— creating an opportunity, and this article discusses this very thing. See, it comes down to this. The government is spending more money, the federal government, more than it receives. So it's called deficit spending. And you use the numbers from the last fiscal year. The U.S. government brought in $4.4 trillion of revenues, tax revenues. So the government's not broke. So one thing I want to say, first of all, is the the doomsday scenarios – I don't believe we're looking at those because the government still is making money. It's still receiving revenues for $4.4 4. 4 last year, for example. The problem, and that's a substantial amount of money, by the way, folks. The problem is they spent $6.1 which means they spent $1.7 more than they received. In other words, the government is spending about 30% more than it's making. Now, you can do that for a while. You can borrow, and that's in essence what the government does. They can't print money willy-nilly. They have to sell bonds to offset the excess spending. And this is where it gets – here's where the opportunity presents itself. Because the federal government is spending historic levels of deficit spending, in other words, spending more than they make, they're having to sell historic levels of bonds. Well, if you understand Economics 101 – You've got a buyer's market and a seller's market. You have a historic level of supply of bonds. Who buys these bonds? Institutional investors, sovereign wealth funds, insurance companies, pension funds, folks like that. Well, they have a record supply. How does the government entice these bond bu- these buyers to buy the bonds? Well, they have to sweeten the deal. They have to increase interest rates, offer a higher interest rate, to get these bond buyers to buy as they have more and more supply. Until the government decides to stop spending more than it makes, which doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime in the near future, there's going to be more and more bonds available to sell, which means bond interest rates are going to be stay strong and higher for an extended period of time. Vanguard has predicted the next five to ten years. Why is this important? Here's your opportunity. Dividends on on personal bank policies are highly reflective of bonds. These insurance companies are buying bonds that are paying higher interest rates, therefore making more profits, therefore increasing returns. Most people don't have the financial wherewithal to buy into the bond market. It's typically recommended you have $100,000 per bond you purchase. That takes most people out. These are large institutional investors. But you can take advantage of that through these insurance company dividends that make as they pay as much or more than the bonds because they also make profits as companies and dividends are profits of the company. So as their bond purchases, returns go up, their profits go up. I'm going to encourage you to contact me if you want more information on how to increase your returns, insured, guaranteed, tax-free, and likely increase those for the next five to ten years, according to Vanguard. Contact me for more information on that. Stay tuned In the last segment. I'm going to share a few more thoughts on this and a couple other things that I think you're going to not want to miss.
1: Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferenc. For more information, contact Ferenc at 866 268 4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866 268 4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact parents at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferentz Toast.
2: Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank show. This is Ference. I need to finish up on my last thought. I was finishing on the last segment. If you missed it, I'm just gussing a uh, tremendous opportunity that we all have right now from the weakness of the government, uh, unwillingness to to rain in spending, we have an opportunity. And it, and in this article, I'm seeing more and more economists discuss this. I've been discussing this now for close to a year, uh, but I'm seeing more and more articles on this. Market Insider article here says U.S. debt could face a buyer boycott if fiscal policy isn't cleaned up. They're right. My point is this simple. The government is not broke. It still re- receives quite a bit of revenues, $4.4 trillion in tax revenues, last year, for example, but it is spending about 30% more than it uh, receives. So it has to issue bonds, sell these bonds. Somebody Somebody has to buy these bonds. There's record amount of bonds they're selling. So there's record supply. If you understand basic economics 101, supply and demand, when you have a lot of supply and you need buyers, you've got to sweeten the pot to get them to buy it, right? How do you do that with the bonds? Well, Treasury has to increase the interest rate, which means the buyers, these insurance companies, for example, are getting higher interest rates, more profit on these bond purchases. This doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Like this Bloomberg TV article stated, there's little sign of fiscal discipline from either party right now. The U.S. overspending is going to continue for quite some time, which is causing these debt auctions are having weaker and weaker demand, causing long-dated yields to increase or being required to pay more and more interest and as this article state, this is probably a preview of more to come. Before everything goes to a hell in the handbasket, that's one of the questions I get all the time. Where do you, where do you see things going down the road longer term? That's harder to predict. The shorter term is easier to predict, as we saw this with Greece, for example, about a decade ago. Greece overextended their spending, and eventually the bond buyers balked, which we're starting to see the beginnings of that with the U.S. debt, U.S. bonds, but they finally said no enough. They offered higher and higher interest rates. Greece did. Eventually, the bond buyers said no more. They were not going to buy your bonds because you keep selling us more of these and there's too much supply, which forced Greece into austerity measures. I've shared this many times. Austerity measures is really not a complicated concept. All it is is the government was then forced to live within its means, which, by the way, is how most of us have to live our lives with our home budgets and our businesses We can borrow more than we make. We can spend more than we make for a while, but eventually we have to pay the piper, and we have to live within our means. Well, folks, that probably isn't going to happen with our politicians. There's no political will to do that. It's probably going to happen from the bond buyers. Now, the advantage that the U.S. has is it's still the strongest economy in the world by far. It's not as good as it was, granted, but it's still by far the strongest. There's BRICS and all these other things going on out there, I understand. But we are still like so far ahead that it, this is a situation that very likely is going to play out over the next number of years. Vanguard, as I stated last segment, predicted increasing bond interest rates for the next five to ten years. The other point about this that I think is important to understand is the Federal Reserve. A lot of people are saying, well, if the Federal Reserve does lower rates, bond interest rates will go down. I disagree, and most of these economists and these other articles are saying the same thing. The Federal Reserve interest rates can impact bond interest rates, but supply and demand is going to impact them even further. Again, if the federal government continues to spend monies at record rates, deficit spending, they're going to be forced to sell record levels of debt, record levels of bonds. They're going to have to sweeten the pot. They're going to have to offer higher interest rates to get people, these institutional investors, to buy these bonds. This will force bond interest rates to stay higher for longer, quite a bit longer. The estimates by Vanguard and others, five to ten years. That's probably a pretty good guess. What does that mean? You have an opportunity over the next five to ten years to reap the benefits of the government spending weakness. In other words, you can earn interest, higher and higher interest likely, over the next five to ten years. Now, most people don't have the wherewithal to dive into the bond market. It's rather sophisticated. It's typically recommended you have 100000 per bond to invest. That takes most people out of the picture. It's truly an institutional investor market. You can invest in a, your personal bank policy these Companies invest typically about 80% of their portfolio into these kind of bonds. Their profits are increasing dramatically over, say, the profits they were earning a couple of years ago because, again, the bond interest rates that are offered are now two, three, four times more than they were just a couple of years ago, which means these companies are buying these bonds and making two, three, four times the profit that they were a couple of years ago. The additional advantage the insurance companies have is they also are profitable companies in amongst themselves. They make money. So the returns on the dividends is typically higher than even the returns they get on the bonds because they're using that to invest but also make a profit and it's the combined total of the two that give you your returns. We fully expect increasing returns for the next five to ten years. We couldn't be more excited. Couldn't be in a better position, frankly, And then on top of that, when you add the fact that the dividends from your personal bank policies are insured, guaranteed, and tax-free, you now have some additional benefits that you wouldn't have typically in any other investment. Lastly, we are, I always say to people, if you want to understand how personal bank policy works versus, say, a traditional insurance policy, think of a teeter-totter. Put cash on one side, death benefit on the other. Most insurance policies, you know what I'm talking about. When you buy the insurance policy, you want to pay the least amount of money for the biggest death benefit. That's a traditional use of life insurance. We do the opposite. Put cash on one side of the teeter-totter, death benefit on the other, as I stated. Traditional policies, very little cash, big death benefit. We flip it completely, like 60 to 90% the other way. Maximize the cash, minimize the death benefit. We want our money to grow. We want to maximize our dividends, insured with guarantees and tax-free. Because we're maximizing cash and we're minimizing the death benefit, the cost of insurance and fees and stuff are minimized dramatically, like sixty to ninety percent, so they become very competitive to like say an index fund or something like that. you'll find now here's the other nice thing about it again not only not only are we focused on growing cash, it's highly liquid again sixty to ninety percent liquid day one. You can also use it as collateral, as an asset, a cash collateral asset, highly liquid. You can either access funds from it directly and even obtain positive cash flow if your borrowing cost is less than the dividends, which is what typically happens. Or you can use it straight up as collateral if you don't want to touch it to use it to borrow to, say, purchase equipment, items, payoff bill, whatever it is you may want to do, expand your business. There's a lot of uses, a lot of purposes for this. The last couple of things, too, though, focusing on maximizing cash values, yet there is, and we're minimizing death benefit, Yes, there is. yet there is one. So when we have couples and people with families and businesses who have some death benefit needs, maybe they're even paying for some death benefit coverage, this can take care of that without any, any additional cost. It's just built in. Also built into these are living benefits, which means they have – Benefits for, like, um, critical chronic illness, long-term care needs, things like that. Again, it's built in. If you need that type of protection, you've got it. If you don't need it, you didn't pay any extra for it. So what can be better than that? My point is simple. These tools, your personal bank tools, are like a Swiss Army knife. It can accomplish a lot of different solutions for you with, with the same money. All right, So there's a lot of really good uses, but again, most common, people want to maximize their cash, minimize their taxes, minimize their, their risk, and they want to have access liquidity of their money. And we'll see likely an increasing return for the next five to ten years, thanks to our U.S. government continuing to spend more money than it makes. Now, a couple of little few thoughts I want to finish up on that are positive, so I want to leave you kind of on a good note. Recently, Trump promised never to allow CDBCs in the U.S., Central, central digital currencies. And he said it'll help protect Americans from government tyranny. A central bank digital currency would be the death knell of freedom. If you don't know what that is, you need to learn. Out. This is a really, really big deal, folks. Central bank digital currency just means that you, the Federal Reserve would control the money digitally. They could put time stamps on it. In other words, if the government decided they wanted to spur the economy, you could have X amount of money in the bank, and they could have an expiration date on it and say you have to spend it by the next month or year or week or whatever, or it goes to zero. I'm not kidding, folks. That is exactly how it works in other countries today, like China. If that sounds cr- too far out there for you, too crazy, I want you to understand something. It's already happening and our federal government and federal federal reserve has made stated repeatedly they want to move to this it's nothing more than another way of controlling the citizens other things they can do is they can also disallow different types of purchases for example if they decided you had too many used up too many carbon credits again this isn't far fan this is actually they're stating these things let's say you had taken too many trips or drove too many miles to work or something they decided you were not able to buy any more fossil fuels for example for a certain period of time you would not be able to if you didn't want if they decided you couldn't buy a weapon to protect yourself or ammunition you would not be able to folks a, a central bank digital currency is probably one of the most egregious loss of freedoms if this ever comes about that we would ever see as citizens This would be the death knell of freedom. It would be the complete opposite of the mission and goal and vision of how this country started, like I started with this show. If you don't want to lose your freedom, you need to support Trump on this because we know the Democrats and Biden want this. They want this level of, of control. This is a very, very clear and differentiating line between the parties, okay? This is really, really huge. And then I've got another, I guess, a kind of a funny one, is many of you have heard we had some record cold spell in the upper Midwest, and, and the electric cars basically didn't work in places like Chicago with dead batteries and charging stations failing and people having to get their, their Teslas and such towed and whatnot. You know, you just kind of have to be pretty dense to not understand that cold weather and batteries don't go together. The technology, I've said this repeatedly, is not ready for commercial prime time. I'm not saying I'm not against it. I'm not saying it's not the future. But to blindly go along with this and assume it's just going to work is just really foolish. And this winter cold snap just proved the point. So, again, government interference is bad. Government is not the solution. Government is the problem. Ronald Reagan was correct on that. Don't forget the mission statement of our country. The mission statement of our country is this, healthy distrust of government. Never trust the government. The founding documents are designed to restrict government. Government's a necessary evil. It needs to be limited in scope, size, and power. Anything outside of that means you are not, you truly don't understand what it is to be a U.S. citizen and what our vision is and mission statement for our country is. Get back to the basics. Read the Declaration. Read the Constitution. Read common sense. Do those things. Become an educated voter. Stay tuned to next week, the next week's show, for some more great information. And as long as it's still on our money, in God we trust.
1: Listen Tuesdays at noon and Saturdays at 1 to the Your Personal Bank Show for more information. Contact Fairance at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. This show is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information. The presenter and guests of this program do not engage in legal, accounting, or tax advice. Professional advice regarding your situation should be sought if required. Some products discussed may have limitations and not be available in all states. Excessive unpaid loans may affect performance. Distributions may become taxable if not managed properly. Replacements may not be suitable for everyone. There may be charges when replacing coverage. Dividend rates and bank line of credit rates may change. For current rates, contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Again, that's 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com.